Puzzle Solvers, how is it going? I hope you guys are going great and things are going well. And if it isn't, don't worry about it. That's why we're hanging out, right? And I hope that you're hanging out and dialing that volume up because this is a cool one. I love that when we dive into these Friday Great Lengths episode, we really take a closer look at how some of these people, business owners, entrepreneurs, right, career professionals, people who are making a big difference and big impact in what they do, how they're able to do this. And today, I want to share with you the story of Adam Toby. Now, Adam believes that while the wilderness is dynamic, ever-changing, and super powerful, that it is also a place of stillness, rest, education, and spirituality. Adam, what is cool is not only that he holds a Master of Divinity and Master of Arts in the Christian Education and Formation from Princeton Theological Seminary, he's also a Wilderness First Responder, a Leave No Trace Master Educator, and he also serves as the Utah State Advocate for the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics, and he is also an AMGA Certified Single Pitch Instructor. Lots of, lots of things that he's done uh, beautifully obviously, but with over a decade spent guiding people through the wilderness, Adam lives to introduce a love of the outdoors to people of all ages, right? I love the outdoors, so this is a true passion of mine. And today, he wanted to share with us, one, what you really should do when you're fearful and you're scared of doing something, whatever it is, maybe something new, starting a business, reaching out to someone, right? Getting XYZ client or taking a leap to get that career moving, right, at work. Secondly, he also wanted to share the timeless art of weighing different risks in your life. This is so important because there are different kinds of risks. Not all risks are created equal, right? And the real question is, how can you tell the difference between different ones and what they really mean for you? And third, and certainly not the last and the least, he also wanted to share what real ownership looks like as opposed to just taking control or the conventional ways we've always looked at taking control, right? Because there is a huge difference between those who have real ownership of what they do, their life, their work, and those who are taking control, right? And we're going to find out how that is. Don't forget to hit that follow and subscribe button. Grow Solvers, let's get growing. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amazing. I'm excited to have you on because we're going to chat about your work at goago.org, and, uh, which is an amazing organization which uh, obviously provides young people opportunities to engage in leadership, uh, stewardship practices, and spiritual formation through outdoor education, which is amazing. But before we talk about all of that good stuff, I thought that we'd start with you and how you first became interested in the great outdoors. And I personally, of course, people who listen to the podcast know that I love the great outdoors mm-hmm. uh, because it just kind of, it gave so much to me, right? And so I'm curious to hear, how did you first become interested in, uh, in the outdoors? Sure, yeah. Um, I, so I grew up in Virginia, which is a, um, a beautiful place. Uh, and I 
thinking back, you know, I, I was involved in a sort of quasi scouts program through the church that I grew up in. Um, and was always going on campouts and enjoyed just playing outside. Um, I mean, I was in one of those families that was like, Hey, just make sure you're home by sundown type of thing. Uh, and so trying to take advantage of being outside as much as possible as a young person. Um, and that kind of continued on through college, but nothing really formal until I was actually in grad school and, um, I had to do a couple internships and I was fortunate enough to do an internship with a, a company um, in British Columbia and the coast range, the coast mountains. And um, we took young people, high school students on week long mountaineering trips. Um, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just knew it sounded like a good t- way to spend a summer and get some credits. Um, but I had a couple of people who I knew who had, done that. And I just remember being on even the training trip and being like, this is where it's at. Like this, this is the kind of thing that I think I'm supposed to do. Um, and it was a a wonderful experience. Um, and after graduating, I was trying to figure out a way to, uh, incorporate sort of that passion that I had for exploration and wilderness areas and, um, and how to offer that to young people and to kind of continue that where I am now, which is in uh, northern Utah, just north of Salt Lake in the town of Ogden. Um, and then we just went from there and made some partnerships with some great, uh, some other great nonprofits who work with young people. And um, now we're, well, not this year. We didn't have any programming this past year due to COVID. Um, but we have a big year coming up and we're really excited to um, continue to get young people out opportunities to get outside and um, to expose them to those very things that you had mentioned earlier. Awesome. And what I love is actually that you have taken your childhood passion and just allowed it to work into your life, right? I think a lot of times when you, when I meet a lot of great people I, and I do meet a lot of great people on the podcast, they often talk very fondly about certain things in their childhood that they love absolutely love doing, right? And of course, once adulthood comes around, jobs, work, business, everything, they sort of neglected this little voice, right? That kind of kept kept calling them towards whatever it is, going outside or playing the piano or whatever it is. And and I love that you kind of continued that passion and created this beautiful um, thing out of it. And I'm kind of curious, was was there ever a moment when you maybe weren't as steady on your footing as far as that passion where you ever, have you ever maybe tried something different, you know, something that's a little bit off course perhaps um, from the, the passion that you have uh, right now? Uh, later junior year in my high school years, I really uh, spent a lot of time playing baseball uh, and traveled around a lot which is obviously still being outside and, you know, I, I love baseball and I loved playing it. And, um, I continue to pursue that. And, uh, even into the college level, um, I, that was one of the dreams that I had while I was in high school. Um, and I sort of realized it. I, I shouldn't say I played baseball in college. I was on the team. I didn't play much. Um, but, uh, but, um, it was, it was definitely, you know, there was always something in the back of sort of my head, though. You know, I'd still go on camping trips with friends. I still loved going to the beach or going to the mountains. Um, 
and hiking around or camping. So it was always kind of there. And it really wasn't until I had that formative summer experience where it was very concentrated time in the outdoors that um, I was really then like, okay, this is, this is it. I'm reminded of this now. Right. And I love that what you had mentioned was that you kind of, I don't know if baseball is necessarily straying, right? But I, th- I think in the context, perhaps. And what's really great is that you actually really honed into the outdoors and you kind of went back to it because of that concentrated time uh, that summer. And I think this is probably true in obviously for the audience who's listening, who felt like they're maybe a little bit off, maybe they are, they're off their game for whatever reason and, and um, something is not right. And having that concentrated time, I think is, is totally helpful. And I wonder if, and now I wanted to segue for a minute here to your work as a wilderness first responder. And um, I wonder if maybe is, do you feel like that having activities like being a wilderness first responder, is that, is that kind of keeping up with that, um, that passion of yours? Is that something that you had taken up recently or something that you've always been doing? Yeah, so it was actually a, uh, that type of um, training was required for that summer, that formative summer uh, that I spent in British Columbia. Um, and then I just valued so much even, um, I mean, sure, the, the sort of technical skills that come with that, certainly I, I found that to be really interesting learning. Um, but the, the more interesting thing I think when I, when I start to think about that training and other trainings that I've done um, for, for uh, being in the outdoors and, and is, is, is the risk management aspect of it. Um, and because, you know, you go outside, you don't even have to, I mean, you just, you, you wake up and you step out of your bed and there's risk. There's always risk. And it's always about how we're managing it. Um, and we, you know, we walk through our lives uh, when, especially when we're more in what I would call a front country setting, um, where we sort of have an understanding of risk and we're comfortable with it, you know, driving a car or um, going for a walk down the street. Um, but we, and so we don't often think about that kind of risk management. And so it's a different way to be mindful of what's going on um, and to continue to remain in that mindfulness when something goes really wrong. Um, and to have that kind of training, to be able to be ready to do that um, and to take care of a situation is really important. But it's all of that risk management um, is, is, is hopefully getting you to a point too where you're, you're helping to minimize uh, or excuse me, mitigate the risk to the point where you won't have to use those sort of hard skills of helping to keep someone alive um, when you're when you're outside of um, definitive care. Mm, so, and I like that you had mentioned this uh, being outside and obviously being a responder as a, a way to be mindful, right? And it's almost like heightening certain senses and awareness that would have otherwise not been used, which is very interesting. But the goal, as you had just mentioned, was very clear so that it, you use it or practice it to the point where you maybe hopefully never will need it. Right. right, which is so interesting, I think, and I think this is probably applicable to a lot of people who are listening who have who are passionate about certain things and they want to create a, a meaningful impact in their work or business or whatever it is, and 
sometimes you do th- do things that help you get to a certain point without ever having to use it, which I think is an interesting concept that I'm glad that you highlight. Now, I do want to ask a little bit because I think a lot of people who have never had this experience as a, a first responder, let alone wilderness first responder, uh, was there ever a moment when you did need to maybe use that sort of, or that training and um, maybe an example or a story that kind of stood out in your mind when, when you had to jump in as, as you will into that, uh, into those shoes? Sure. Yeah. And, and it was actually, um, you, you know, I wasn't the primary caregiver and I think that was actually made it more difficult for me in a way. Um, I, it was, it was that first summer right after I'd had, um, in, in British Columbia, we had a group and we were, um, we had just spent, I think we were on day five of a six day trip. So we only had one more, uh, evening out in the mountains. Um, and we had, uh, we had, stayed at a high camp the night before and so we were descending on some snow fields and one student fell uh and slid down the snow field a little bit it wasn't super steep but it was steep enough for her to uh slide some and uh it seemed that she she i mean it's it's hard to tell without an x-ray uh you it's but it seemed that she injured her shoulder and it was showing signs that it had it had dislocated um and there were three guides, um, I being one of them. And I remember, uh, I was not the first one on the scene. And so when it comes to, uh, at least wilderness first responder training, um, the first one on the scene is generally understood as the primary caregiver for the patient. Um, and so what I, my role, and I wasn't actually even the secondary, I was the third person on the scene. Um, and so my role was not, the secondary person was to communicate with, um, our wilderness EMT person back at base camp just to kind of go through protocol. And my role was more so to uh, manage the group and kind of make sure that everyone else was staying safe as, as could be, to, you know, trying to minimize the risk for everyone else. Um, because it was one of those things where one, there was one patient, but there were still seven other people that needed to be tended to. Um, and if those people were not tended to, there's by someone who knows what's going on, um, then it is possible that uh, that the risk will not be mitigated for them and could perhaps increase. Um, and then there's also, you know, people who could uh, start to have acute stress reactions and kind of be really concerned about their friend who uh, is injured. And um, so I actually, it was more of a, of a group management um, type of scenario than it was me using the hard skills. Um, and so it was, it was challenging because I had to switch my mindset where, you know, I had just learned all this really fancy, cool stuff uh, of how to, you know, help uh, reduce a, a shoulder injury like that. And um, I, I wasn't using it. In fact, I was, it was not my role to use it. And so I had to understand what my role is, was in that moment, which was to care for the rest of the party. Right. That's actually really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of, and I wonder if it takes a, quite a lot of 
maybe pride check is probably the a good word to use because if you're especially like you had mentioned you just learn all of these fancy skills and exciting new things and you're excited to be able to help other people and use it and on a live situation and and then you had to step into this other role and you had to kind of realize oh no wait a minute this is not my job right now that's that person's job this for me i'm supposed to be doing this other thing and i think this is a very again very probably quite difficult for a lot of people to do because sometimes we go through the motions in our lives, right? And we're so used to being X, Y, Z, and then we kind of forget um, that there, there's a time for everything, right? And, um, and I love that you kind of highlighted that story with the shoulder dislocating that, you know what, it's more important for the collective good for me to be this, this other role right now. Which, sure. Um, and I think, and I think that's really an important part of, uh, being a leader in general is understanding when it's time to step up and step up to the plate and take the lead. And when it's more important to support someone else who is the leader. Um, and, and that was, that, that was an important piece of learning for me and to learn what that meant to be in a leadership team. That's one thing that um, I really value is not leading alone as much as possible. Obviously leaders have to make, have to feel alone at certain points and making really difficult decisions um, on their own, but uh, working with a leadership team and then understanding, okay, this is your role right now and this is your role and this is my role. Mm, well, and what I, what I love absolutely, and I want to highlight this and pause for a second for the audience who's listening, that you had mentioned it is important, particularly in leadership positions, to know when to step up and when to essentially step back. And in doing so, sometimes it can feel very lonely. I think that's kind of the honest truth, right? You feel slightly vulnerable doing things that maybe from a perception standpoint, that's not something that you're comfortable with. I think most leaders in whether it's in a 501c3 companies, nonprofit organization, or in for-profit organizations and business, uh, businesses, they, I think, oftentimes feel like they have to be the know-it-all, right, to have everything together. And um, was there a moment when in your kind of, uh, in, in your work leading these groups and, and people under your charge, uh, was there ever a moment when you it was hard for you to step back? Um, yeah, I mean, it being, being sort of the, the point person, and, and this is a, a piece of, that's really valuable to me in being a leader is, is um, and, and that ties into this risk management piece, is uh, understanding when, there is a high perceived risk, perhaps, but a low actual risk. Um, and letting people, other other team members, um, take the lead uh, so that they can learn. Because you can't often, if, if you're trying to be a leader and you're trying to develop leadership skills, it can be very difficult um, to do so if someone, is, someone else is always the leader. Um, and so one thing that is really valuable to me is not only for our young people that we serve, to give them leadership opportunities, but also for um, the staff that we have, other guides um, and instructors. And, and sometimes uh, I can think of moments when instructors have said something or done something a certain way that was, I was like, ah, you know, that could have been done a little differently and probably would have been a little bit more palatable um, for, for the majority of the students. 
But this is a time when this person is trying to step into who they are as a leader. And I want to do whatever I can to support them because it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just about me and, you know, this, this organization or any organization that I work for. It's about um, helping other people and giving other people opportunities to lead and practice their own leadership because I'm only one person. But if, if the idea of leadership can be replicated and not my own, not my idea of leadership, but if people can understand and practice their own uh, form of leadership and then what's most important, that's, that's a great thing um, for them to be able to do. But then what's really most important about that is that debrief afterwards and saying, Hey, how do you think this went? What do you think went well? What could have gone better? Um, What might you change in the future? Uh, And that's a really important aspect of that sort of permeates through all of our programming from, from the, you know, the day hikes we do with students uh, for summer camps up to um, one of my lead instructors who I'm trying to continue to pass off more and more uh, leadership opportunities. Um, So I think, I think that there's a really, that's, that's a really important value for me is to let people within, within reason, obviously, when there is a low perceived risk or a low uh, actual risk and maybe a more, a higher perceived risk to let people try things out and possibly make mistakes or definitely make mistakes, but then to talk about it afterwards and to figure out how we can move forward from that. So I absolutely love this compartmentalization that seems that you're doing between perceived risk and actual risk, right? I think a lot of leaders in business or otherwise, I think they maybe mistake risk as just this one sort of black and white sort of thing, right? Either there's risk or not, and it's just kind of levels or degrees of risk, which I don't think is necessarily true. And to your point, you were saying, well, there's perceived risk and there's actual risk. And when the actual risk is quite low, that's a great opportunity to be actually, to really step up into leadership. And by stepping up into leadership, interestingly, you had mentioned, basically leading other people to be leaders, right? right. And to let people try things out and lead them themselves and maybe even lead other people to try things out as well. I, I absolutely love this um, I, this approach because I think it's not done often enough, you know, and I think a lot of leaders out there, interestingly, um, and I've seen this personally as well, they think it's either just me or no one else, right, which is kind of right. strange. And, uh, and your story has basically highlighted that, no, it's not just a one-person leadership. It's actually leadership means, um, you know, other people are going to step up as leaders in their own way, which is absolutely interesting, I think, um, and, and really just kind of a refreshing perspective. So at, in your work with students, right, of all ages and uh, at uh, gogo.org here, and um, can you touch a little bit about what, um, what are some difficulties that you've seen other people encountered when you invite them to engage in leadership development? Is there usually uh, mindset blocks that people think, oh, I'm not a leader? Or is there usually, are there certain common threads that you notice over the course of the years when you're inviting uh, or when people are, um, are called upon, right, to step into a role of leadership? Yeah, absolutely. I can think of a couple in particular um, that seem to be common threads throughout most of our programming. Uh, now, in each of, our, in each of our programs, whether it's a week-long 
uh, day camp where we just do day hikes or if it's a week long uh, backpacking trip. Um, we all we give every student uh, an opportunity to or we don't actually just give them the opportunity. We make them do it. Um, become a leader of the day with someone else. Um, that's a part of the, the group. And so they are uh, up with one of the instructors and they're working on route finding. They're making decisions about um, when we take rests or when we eat meals or uh, where we set up our camps or where we, um, you know, what pace we're hiking at or, uh, what routes we're climbing. Um, so, and, and they make that with, they make those decisions with, uh, one of our, our instructor staff, um, helping them, uh, make those decisions for the group. And two things that I see, one is that, uh, some people jump to the, rise to the occasion and, and they, or they, they jump at the opportunity rather, and they love being the person who's in control. And they think that being a leader means, being in control of everyone else. And then everyone else is your little puppet that you can make them do whatever you want. Um, and they learn very quickly that uh, that type of ego driven leadership is not one that gets you many followers. Um, <laughs> and uh, they have to adapt and they have to learn through their own mistakes that, Oh, well I I'm, I'm one of the strongest hikers. So everyone needs to rise to my occasion, to my, to my hiking speed. They need to, they need to do that. And I need to push them um, when that's not necessarily appropriate um, because it, for, for myriad reasons, obviously. Um, and so having to sort of have some humble pie um, is, is one of the things that often happens amongst our students. And the other is sort of the, sort of the opposite where students are like, well, I am really quiet. I mean, they don't say this, but they, they portray as quiet and they portray as sort of maybe, maybe they're the smallest person in the group um, and, or maybe they're the slowest hiker. And they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to lead. And I don't, I, cause I, I can't lead. I am not, I do not have it in me to be a leader. Um, and yet to then say, well, I want you to give it a shot and I want to give you some different, op- some different ways to think about being a leader. And to see how they actually then rise to under, rise to this occasion of understanding that being a leader doesn't mean being this loud, boisterous, um, charismatic, charming person, uh, but really just means someone who is there and is looking out for the group and who is doing their best to make decisions for everyone and is including others in that decision-making process and is looking out for the needs of the entirety of the team um, and, and, and so, um, we see, we see both of those a lot in sort of mm-hmm. extremes and it's really lovely to celebrate both of those things, um, with our students when, when they occur. Right. And what's interesting actually in the two examples that you had shared, it seems that actually there is even a greater kind of com- common umbrella here. The first group of people, the first type of people who jump in into, oh, I like being in control and you kind of push other people to meet their pace or whatever. And then the second group who are perhaps a little bit more shy and they don't see themselves as leaders also view leadership in a, in a way that, oh, I can't, I don't have I don't have what it takes to be a leader because my understanding of leadership is being in, is to be in control and, and push people towards uh, you know the, your own agenda or whatever it is. 
so it's interesting that this is kind of a common thread is that why, why is this like, is there, um, what's behind this? Is this the way that we were raised? Is, is this something that we learned in books and in, in school or maybe lack of good, good leadership role models? Why is that Adam? You know, I, th- it could be a lot of reasons. Um, I think, I think that when, when, when I sit on that question, I imagine that it's just that, that often when we think of leaders, we think of the strong person. And I, and I, and I imagine that that's because, um, or, you know, the, like, and I don't mean strong as in like, um, strong mentally. Like, I mean, like they're perceived as a strong person. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, you know, they might be attractive. They might be, uh, you know, charismatic, all of these different kind of words they used earlier. Um, and, and also very ego-driven. And, and I don't think we have a lot of good examples uh, in media and in books and really um, in, in, uh, in, in the leaders of our world, even. We don't yeah, have yeah. great examples of people who are looking out for everyone from the lowest to the highest um, socioeconomically. I don't mean that in, in a sort of dismissive or pejorative way. Um, but we have people looking out for their own interests and a good leader isn't one who's looking out for their own interests, but is one who is looking out for the interests of the greater good for all. And I don't think that we have a lot of good examples of that. And so when our young people are asked to be a leader, they think, Oh, let me think of the leaders that I know in my Mm -hmm. life. And they might think of um, their experience with whoever is uh, the leader in their household or whoever is a leader at their school or their religious community or perhaps even the leader of the, their nation. Um, and they then think, oh, well, I have to be like that because that is a leader. Right, right, right. This is interesting because I, it's been, this is a question that I've been thinking a, a lot recently as well. I think it's so interesting because I think to your point, there really isn't as enough examples of the type of leader that we want, and which is why, again, to your point, leading other people to be leaders, even if you're not in a position of leadership, is important because then there are more examples of the various types of leadership that can still happen and flourish and, and really bring other people to rise to, to really the best, their best self, I think is important because, again, <laughs> I think the, the common misconception is that it has to be this uh, big boisterous voice, which isn't the case at all. And I actually, this reminded me of this book that I read uh, a while ago. A lot of people who is on listening to the podcast know that I'm a huge Ryan Holiday fan, and he wrote a book titled Ego is the Enemy. And which I thought was so interesting. And of course, you know, if, if you guys are listening, go check it out. It's a great book. And I think it's really relevant to what Adam is saying here as well, um, as far as leadership is, is concerned here. And so I'm interesting, uh, I'm interested in a little bit more on, on this uh, topic here, Adam. And have you ever seen, um, I guess, maybe people who are great leaders and um, in the the definition that you have and maybe perhaps something happens during the the trip or the activity or the outdoor excursion or whatever it is and and maybe they change their tune or maybe something uh, maybe they suddenly crumble has that ever happened and obviously the young people but also um, from what you observe in in kind of the greater community here 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that that is, that is something that can, I mean, we can only, we all have a certain amount of weight, whatever that weight might be, mm-hmm. um, that we can bear. Uh, and, and I've certainly seen it happen, especially when um, leaders don't surround themselves with a team, um, where it becomes much more likely that they will crumble and that the organization or the, um, the, the group or whatever, whatever it might be, tends to crumble. And, and that's why uh, I, I believe so strongly in, in a leadership team. Uh, and, and again, obviously, there needs to be someone who needs to make the tough decisions and be the sort of uh, final say on certain things. But as much as possible, um, the hope is, is that practicing a leadership building and practicing a leadership team helps to minimize the chances that that can happen. Or if it does, because it, it's, it's going to for everyone at some point, um, that there are other people there that can pick up the slack and other people there that can say, hey, look it's okay. I'm, I'm going to be your support right now. And I'm going to do whatever you need, whatever I need to do in order to um, make sure that, you know, the, 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 um, the health of the group, whatever group that is in business or on a trip out into the woods um, is, is taken care of. And that, that experience is continued, you know, we're, we're looking out for the experience of our clients. Uh, And, um, because because it's it's far less likely that uh you know a, a, everyone on the leadership team is going to have a bad day or something's going to mm. rock every single person's boat on the at the same exact time um and so when you sort of diversify and spread out the leadership it's really it's it, it you know just thinking about it in terms of um probability that it's it's just more likely that there's going to be someone who's going to be able to make the the decisions that need to be made um, even if one person is uh, is sort of crumbling, like you said. Right. And this is so great because what I love w- about what you had just mentioned is basically even the greatest leaders need to surround themselves with other people and a great team of uh, other leaders, other types of leaderships as well. And mostly from even just from the perspective of probability. And I think if we're thinking about it visually, it could also be maybe we can draw analogies from decentralization in some ways, right? You're kind of decentralizing the, what you were just saying, risk and risk management. And, uh, and I think it's so great to hear and to know that really leaning on other people is kind of the central theme here. And that's really the, the, the point of creating great leaders and better Better human beings, right, uh, is uh, is really by leaning on other human human beings, which is amazing. Absolutely, and that sort of vulnerability is really what makes, you know, I think I'm I'm sure someone I don't know exactly who said it. It might it might be Brene Brown because she talks a lot about vulnerability, but it's it, vulnerability isn't isn't weakness. It's actually a sign of strength, and um, and obviously it can become. Um, a difficult thing if we're vulnerable to everyone, if we wear our heart on our sleeve, uh, that's obviously not what true vulnerability is, but, um, but being vulnerable with the team and saying, Hey, I'm really struggling today and I need some help. That, that is, that is, that's, I mean, everyone, no, even if you're not think, if you don't think you're in a leadership position, like you said, just being a human being, um, is that's part of, that's part of that. And just understanding that, it's okay. And actually it's good. And it's part of being human to lean on others and to 
draw other people into your life when things are going awry. This is amazing. And I love that, uh, that uh, this is a great actually transition into your organization and goago.org. Can you tell the audience just uh, a few more things about uh, your great work there and where else, uh, where they can find you if they want to connect with you and we'll wrap up the interview. We, we partner with various nonprofits. We are a nonprofit ourselves. Uh, but you can go to www.goago.org. Amazing. Adam, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Don't forget to hit that follow and subscribe button. Growth Solvers, let's get growing. 